Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Hello, and welcome to What to Say When Things Get Tough, a podcast dedicated to helping you communicate more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I'm your host, Leonard S. Greenberger. Today we're going to be way on the personal side of the spectrum, because our guest is Sue Priver, who describes herself as an ecstasy expert, which should indicate to you that this is going to be a unique What to Say When Things Get Tough episode. And I should say right off the bat that this episode is R-rated, so if you're listening with an earshot of youngsters, you may want to put on your earpods. And most of us intuitively understand that good communication is important to good, healthy sex, but we don't really know what good communication means or how to do it. Sue shares her approach to telling your partner or partners what you want and learning what they want. She helps people get over the guilt, shame, fear, and judgment that so often stand in the way of, as Sue puts it, mind-blowing sex. We also discuss that in learning how to communicate well with her partner when it comes to sex, Sue has also become better at communicating with other people in their life, her coworkers, her family, and her friends. Oh, and did I mention that she's also a world record-holding power lifter? I hope you enjoy our conversation. Thank you very much for joining me and appearing on the podcast. Let's dive right into this topic. I've been psyching myself up for it for quite a while now. On your webpage, you describe yourself as an ecstasy expert. Please tell us what that means. It's living in embodied ecstasy, fully lit up and present, both in the bedroom and outside. So it's when we have those moments of creativity and problem solving and being in the groove and in flow state. That's all ecstatic states. And so what I do for myself, because I stumbled across it and really got interested in this and then started working with my clients on this because I saw how important this is and how deeply people can impact their life and others and take everything they're doing to the next level. So it was how to get here on purpose, not just by accident. I like to get a sense of people's heritage, you know, how they got their, their origin story, if you will. So I was able to do a little bit of research on you before this conversation. And I understand that for many years, you experienced what you would describe as painful sex. In what way? Oh, sure. So from the very beginning of my experiences, as I found out later in life, the explanation made a lot of sense. I didn't know what it was while I was experiencing it, is all of the muscles and the different layers within my pelvic floor. So everything in that area was super, super tight. And so anytime 
anything touched anything of me internally in vaginally from a tampon to a finger to having sex and having a cock in me, my muscles would go into spasm. And so most people have experienced the Charlie horse or woken up in the middle of the night with your calf cramp. Well, that's, that's the level of pain I would experience just by having something inside me. And so I avoided that for a couple of decades because it's horrible. And then at 37, decided I don't want to go down the path of depression again. And it felt like I was in that direction. Mm-hmm. And a lot of things in my life I didn't have control over and I didn't like. So looked inside and said, what do I have control over and what can I change? And decided that after a couple of decades, maybe there's some new answers for some of the chronic health issues that I was experiencing and really sought answers and move forward with all different options, both Western medicine and some Eastern uh, traditions. And intensely for two years, got my physical health back on track. Mm -hmm. And in the process, uh, found powerlifting, touched a barbell for the first time at 37, and became a world record holding powerlifter. And then continued on my journey of, okay, now that I know what's causing that excruciatingly painful sex, what can I do to continue to work on myself to alleviate that? And that took some time and some mind, body, spirit uh, practices as well. And then in the fall of a few years later, set up a sex date with someone. And he, we'd been texting for a couple months mm-hmm. and uh, he had no idea of my background and health background. I had not shared that with him and just had a fabulous day with him. And that was what I needed to know that I could move forward and enjoy a sex life, you know, a, a, whatever was normal um, and just enjoy it and explore what, what I wanted and what I liked and kind of be a teenager in my forties. Well, as they say, it's, it's, it's never too late, especially to, um, to finally have an opportunity to experience good, healthy, non-painful sex. I, I can absolutely understand what motivated you after all that time to, to find a solution. Can, can you tell us a little bit more about you, how you w- went about doing it? I, you said it was a combination of Western medicine and some Eastern medicine. Did you just one day go to your doctor and share this problem and sort of get started on your journey that way? What specifically did you do? I actually went to an osteopath for some of the chronic pain issues that I was experiencing from fibromyalgia. And she was upfront and told me that she's not a hormone expert and does not know some of the reasons for some of the issues that I was experiencing from endometriosis and what then got diagnosed as vulvodynia, just, just painful vaginal area. Sounds fancy, but it's pretty simple in its terminology and referred me to a holistic gynecologist just as a, someone to give me a diagnosis and some more information, not to necessarily switch uh, doctors as a primary OBGYN. And as the osteopath highlighted some things that I could work on for general body pain and physical movement and sleep, 
then a couple months later had the appointment with uh, the gynecologist who said, okay, let me do a quick exam. Just can do some things externally, look around. And from what you've described, I think I know what's going on. And so just by having that conversation, understanding what the mechanics were and what was going on really helped me determine what path to take. And she recommended some traditional Western approaches, which included internal uh, physical therapy with some specialists in that area. And the other path was uh, working, were some Eastern uh, approaches. And one of which was a recommendation to see someone who does uh, abdominal Mayan massage. And so it's some of the traditions passed down uh, from the Mayans in Mexico uh, and the Yucatan Peninsula to through their lineage up to today. And there's an American nurse who went to that area of the world and learned some of their wisdom Mm -hmm. and has spread that around the world. And so that was the beginning of that journey was really that went to uh, a yoga workshop all about pelvic floor and hips and hip opening and uh, some practices with that. And also read the book Wild Feminine by Tammy Lynn Kent. And that she is an internal physical therapist. That is her profession. And this is a book that's a mix of practices about anatomy and pain management and determination of what elements are causing the problems and which ones are healthy, as well as the spiritual aspects of feminine energy and how that interacts with the whole pelvic area and creativity and different practices to do with each chapter in the book. And that's how I started that journey. So this podcast, as you may know, is about communicating more effectively in difficult situations, both personal and professional. I think we're definitely operating on the personal end of the spectrum here, which is great because I spend most of my time on the professional end and that's getting a little boring. So I'm excited to talk more (laughs) about uh, the personal side. You know, I think, and here I'm going to sort of ask you to put your ecstasy uh, expert hat on. I think most of us probably understand that, you know, good communication is very important, if not crucial, you know, to good, healthy sex. But I also think that that's where most people's concept of sex and communication ends. It should be there, but how to do it or when to do it or what to do is something we think a lot less about. Would you say that that's that's fair? 100%. And in our American culture, we don't have vocabulary for things. We don't have practice talking about things. Mm -hmm. And are often shamed at an early point in life for having thoughts and feelings and fantasies around sex and sexual pleasure. And that sticks with us. The other piece that I've been exploring lately is the evolution of our sexual identities and development. And the latest that I've read says that most of our sexual identity has developed at the age of 14. Mm. 
So we pick up on what our family has taught us both verbally and just through action, as well as what society says, what our friends say. And it's pretty solidified at 14 unless and until we choose to push those boundaries, change that identity and intentionally work on it. And that was something I did in my forties was intentionally work on it, find out what do I like? What do I want? Who am I as a sexual being and as a partner? In addition, what are the possibilities and what are those subconscious beliefs that I have that I don't even know are ruling my life and my ideas about sex? Yeah, you know, what you say is so true. I, my girlfriend has, um, well, she has six children altogether, three younger ones who live with us. And I'm constantly observing the fact that when they watch television, they watch movies, they, they love scary movies. They love violent movies. They'll, they'll watch them from dawn till dusk. But if two people even appear as though they're about to kiss, they go screaming from the room, you know, or bury their heads in the pillow because it's not something they want to see. And it just seems to me to be so backwards that <laughs> the thing that we are protecting or shaming is sex and but the gory violence is just thrown out there with very little thought at all so, so let's go by beyond the, the basic understanding then and and what when you work with people when it comes to communication and and being a better communicator about sex about what about what they want what about finding out what their partners want I'll throw out a sort of a very broad question for you what is your advice? You know, what do you tell people or suggest to people that they do to become better sexual communicators, for lack of a better term? So one thing I picked up from some other people and some other sub-communities within the sexual world is that every time they have a sexual encounter, there's a conversation in advance, and they focus on limits and boundaries. And I took that and added to it and said, let's add in desires as well. So before every single full sexual encounter, so I'm not talking like a quick kiss or you know an exchange that's a minute or two long, but something where there's intention that sex is probably going to happen, may or may not, but something in that direction, that there's a direct communication about what do I want right now? Is there a particular style? Is there a particular position? Is there a particular action? Like, I really want a massage. Like, can we incorporate massage today? Or as I said, some particular action or feeling. And then it's also, what is it just not happening today? Like, I know you love this thing. No, I'm not in the mood for it or whatever. We've done these things in the past, not today. And it also, it's that litmus test of what, what's in and what's out and what's for me, who's someone who's all over the place in variety and style, it gives my partner a sense of what, what am I thinking about? Am I adventurous today or do I just need comfort sex? You know, what's going on? What am I thinking? How am I feeling? What direction are we going? That kind of thing. And then listen to him and or vice versa, have him start and me respond back. Does It can change up. It doesn't have to, depending on the personalities of the two people or more people and just be very clear. And in order to be clear, 
you need to know what you want. And one of the practices I do is I just take a deep breath and I get quiet and I check in with myself. And if I'm exhausted and have done a lot that day and have tried all these new things, I don't want to try new things. That's my personality. And I'm going to say that if I've been thinking about some new and excited things all day and I'm pumped up and I really want to push my boundaries and push my limits and say, oh, you know, help me, help me explore this. I I'm all fired up about it and then get that communication back of, yeah, let's try that. Or, you know, you need me to be at my best and I'm not Mm -hmm. for you to be happy with that. So let's, let's do that some other time and let's do this other thing instead. Just to make sure I'm understanding correctly, you're saying this conversation or, or some communication should happen before each sexual encounter with your partner of even 20 years. In other words, when you first started speaking, I, I thought you were talking about you know the first time you're with someone, but I, I think that I'm, I'm wrong. What I'm hearing is it's a conversation you would have just about every time you would with your partner ahead of time to, as you say, sort of set the boundaries of what you're thinking about and, and looking for, for that particular encounter. Yes. And the caveat is if you're, if you've been together for 20 years and you know each other, your shorthand is very quick. You know, it could be five words that you exchange together, but it's that connection and that knowing what you want, what you're desiring and hearing back from your partner, okay, I'm on board with that. Or, eh, you know, that's, that's not doing it for me today. And for me, it's that big picture of what does it mean to win? And if I want to participate in something, I'm super competitive and I want to win. And I want everybody on my team to win with me. And so if I enter something and I don't know what winning means to me, I can't win at the end. And that's my basic philosophy in life. And I know that about myself. And so then I look at everything in that context and get very clear on what does winning mean? Can I win at this? Is there that potential? And then what actions am I going to take to actually win? And so in this situation, it's what does winning mean? You know, clarify, what do I want? What does my partner want? Mm -hmm. Is this possible? Because sometimes it's not going to happen. Right. <laughs> like, I'm like, yeah, no, like, I'm not that acrobatic or I have a true limitation. Like, it's not happening. Uh, let's readjust and then take action and enjoy it and pleasure. And at the end, really have this sense of satisfaction, not only sexually, but that connectedness with my partner that we won together. Right, right. I'm an expert in what's called risk communication. It's the basis for this podcast. It's the basis for the book that I wrote on which this podcast is based. And one of the principles of risk communication is the absolute importance. You have to have trust with the person you're attempting to communicate with in a difficult situation. If if a person feels as though you are imposing, perceives that you are imposing some sort of risk on them. It could be financial, it could be physical, it could be psychological, just, you know, stress, what have you. If there's not trust between the two of you, you're never going to succeed in communicating with that person and breaking through and winning them over, as I say. And I think it's the same is true in this context. You have to have trust with your partner to be able to talk about what it is you want 
and don't want. And to, it would seem to me that that is a um, self-fulfilling and it could go either way. You know, if you have the trust and you're honest with your partner about what you're into that night or willing to do in general or, or, or not willing to do, then trust grows and the sex gets better and the trust and, and you get a, a virtuous cycle going. But of course, the opposite is also true. If you're not honest and you don't say what you feel or what you want or what you're thinking, uh, then uh, you can wind up in a vicious cycle where your the trust goes away and, and ultimately, at the very least, the good sex that you would like to have goes away. Absolutely. And so hand in hand with this is all of the things that we fear, all of the dark, deep down parts of ourselves that we struggle with owning all pop up. And for me, I really see sex as the secret weapon for rapid transformation because it brings all this stuff up all the time until it gets addressed. And then working with my clients on the big, deep, dark feelings of guilt and shame, fear and judgment. Oftentimes what we fear in a relationship is what we perceive in the relationship and things that we judge about ourselves, we hear our partner judging in us. And oftentimes the partner is not saying that at all. The words, yes, the meaning, usually not. And so until we clear a lot of these deep down beliefs and feelings that we're carrying with us, it's going to keep coming back. So when we're afraid to be intimate and share our most deepest desires, not necessarily fantasies, but desires of things we actually want to do, mm -hmm. we're not owning that part of ourselves and we're being critical and judging ourselves for some reason. Some, some, something made us think that these things are not okay. Mm -hmm. And it's deep work. It can be quick when using certain tools. And the other piece of this is when these things are cleared and claimed, they impact all of our life in a positive way. So the problems we have, I know I've seen this firsthand, problems I have communicating during sex are the same problems I have communicating with my family, showing up in a different way, but it's the same root cause, showing up with my coworkers, with people who report to me at work, with my friends. And it's, if it gets fixed in one place, magically, it gets fixed everywhere. And that's what I love about this work is it is very deep. It's powerful and sometimes very quick to uproot and change beliefs that we've held for decades and sometimes our entire life. Let's get a little specific. Um, you know, say there's, well, a fantasy that someone has that they would like to try. How would uh, you recommend I go about approaching that with my partner? How, how, how would I bring it up? How do I communicate in an effective way that it's something that I would like to try? So first, it has to be something that you need to get to a certain level of comfort of just saying it out loud mm -hmm. to yourself. Not just thinking it, but actually rehearsing it and saying it out loud and reduce the likelihood that you're stumbling with your words and get very clear on what it is. 
And what aspects of it are part of that desire? Is it a feeling? Is it an action? Is it, you know, what, what do you hope to get out of it? Sometimes it's a connection uh, with your partner and having, doing something together that brings you closer together just by having that experience. And then when you think about it, when you have any conversation with anybody, this is all about influencing someone else to do the things that you want to do with them. And how I think about it is it's a sales process. I'm not asking you for money, but I'm asking you for buy-in and participation. And I so go back to Dale Carnegie and his classic book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And so it's what's in it for me is how we all perceive the world. So think about your partner, someone you know and trust, and what's in it for them? What's their perspective on you trying something new? Sometimes that's it, you know, that they're fully supportive and they're, they want you to try and have new experiences. So as long as it sounds reasonable and they're not at any, they're at a comfort level of risk, physical and emotional with you, that they could be an easy yes. If this is way beyond anything that you've ever talked about before, anything that you've ever experienced together, this can take some some thinking of why would they say yes to this? What's in it for them? Not just what's in it for me. And then sometimes you can bring it up in a different, depending on your communication styles. I'm someone who's very direct and my partners know that and they expect that of me. Mm -hmm. I'll be like, this is what I want. These are the details. This is why (laughs) I think because we've done this kind of thing before, I think you'd be into it. And I'm just lay it all out. And I know that's not everybody's communication style. So if that's not in your wheelhouse and that's not the way you talk and communicate, you can bring up a book or a story, or if you see, if you watch porn or read erotica, you know, you can say, what do you think about this? And bring it up more in a theoretical way than anything else mm-hmm. and put the idea out there as if. A general concept. And when your partner has had some time to percolate and think about it, if that's their style, then would you, you know, this is something that I'm interested in. Would you consider it? And this is especially for things that are very different than anything you've done before, where you're pushing the boundary or entering into an area that's completely new for you as a couple and prepare yourself. Are there inherent risks in doing whatever you're doing? And not only physically, but emotionally. And a lot of people don't take that into account in advance. How doing something different can bring out some fear. It can bring out some jealousy or shame from your past. And then if that does happen, how to know that you can work through it together, that you're there to support each other and not blame the other person for causing this to happen to you but to really take responsibility that, yes, I agreed to this. We did this experience together. This is what happened and I need help or I need your support as I work through the things that came out of it that I wasn't expecting. 
And one of the other tenets of risk communication is the importance of practice, that uh, the skills and techniques that uh, people need to employ when communicating in a difficult situation where somebody, again, perceives that you're imposing a risk on them and they are uh, distrustful of you, usually because they view you as having a vested interest um, in the outcome. And I do a lot of work, for example, with industrial companies that operate uh, sites where dangerous chemicals are used, where uh, pollution is emitted, you know, all under regulatory control, although sometimes there are problems. And, you know, how do you communicate as the plant manager with the community that surrounds the plant about what you're doing there and do it in an effective way. So that's uh, you know, sort of risk communication in a nutshell. And what I teach the people that I work with is that like any other skill or technique, name it, competitive lifting, playing baseball, playing the piano, singing, the more you practice, the better you're going to be at it. And uh, I think it's true in this case too. If whether you're interested in trying something new and, and and trying to figure out the best way to approach your partner, or even just to work up the courage to approach your partner, I think the more you discuss sex, the more you communicate about it, uh, the easier it's going to get. And um, you know, the next time something comes up that you run across in a porn you've watched or or, or a story your uh, best friend told you. Um, that you want to try, it's going to be that much easier to, to bring it up. Absolutely. And to start with things that you're more comfortable with and to start that conversation. And the other piece of this is all about perception and being as precise with language as you can be. Uh, two different people hearing the same term can have vastly different interpretations and understandings of what that is. And so to be very clear on what it is you like, what it is you want, and not rely on not necessarily stereotypes, but generalizations. And this is across the board in all language, not just related to sexual terms, but just get very clear on, you know, it's not just in general, I'll be very specific. So it's not just that you want to receive a blowjob because sure, that's a thing. Mm -hmm. Each person could have a very different understanding of what that involves and what position you're in, what the power uh, dynamic is, mm -hmm. what's going on. One person might like it one way and the other person might be hoping for something very different. And so it, there needs to be more detail and more specificity than just a general term. And really painting that picture, especially if you're the one sharing the fantasy in the, you know, to, to start the conversation, not necessarily down to all the details or everything that this happens and this happens and this happens, but at least to have a starting place to have that conversation of what pieces of it are very important to you and your fantasy. So if I say, I. I would like a blowjob. This is what I mean by I would like a blowjob. Yeah. And what, what elements of it are what you're truly desiring so that that's incorporated into it. And then you might try some other things and see, do you like it just as much or not? And give that feedback in the process. This is just fascinating. I want to, I, I want to come back. I have some sort of final questions for you about um, sex and communication, but 
I want to talk a little bit about your your other uh, area of expertise. As you describe yourself as an accidental athlete and a world record holding powerlifter, first congratulations on that. What what record do you hold, or or did you hold? I do hold. I'm uh, born to deadlift, so everything about my body that I did not like mm-hmm. turns out to be a positive attribute for deadlifting. And within two years was deadlifting over 400 pounds. And so my personal record is uh, 418 pounds, or for our international people, it's 190 kilo. And now in the master's division, so set my last world record is my last competition before COVID was the summer of 2019 and pulled 365 pounds. So it's very interesting that sort of sounds like the problems you were having on the flip side, you, know, you made you, as you said, you're built to be a power lifter. Now you've addressed the other side. So now you're just you know, doing great on, on both ends of things. Is, was there a connection as you discovered what was going on with you physically in terms of the pain you were having during sex and at the same time realizing they had a, a, an ability when it came to powerlifting or w- were you powerlifting all along? So all of that was, so I will say powerlifting accompanied my whole health journey. And prior to that time in my life, I lived a hundred percent in my head. Hmm. I relied on my intellect and that intelligence to perceive all of life and to live life. I, I'm from a very intellectual family. The joke is not only are we all college educated, but we all have additional degrees of a doctor, a lawyer, a PhD, multiple masters, all of that uh, through lengthy education and book learning. And that was the focus of my family's culture and still is. And so I came to realize that I did not live through emotions and I did not emote, which was not healthy for me. I did not have a spiritual connection at all. And I had very little connection to my body. And so powerlifting was actually an avenue for me to develop all of those and experience all of those with additional support as well. So it wasn't just in powerlifting, but that was a place where I could practice all of this And so naturally I got in the zone through deadlifting Mm -hmm. and I combined my body, mind, spirit, and heart in a natural way to lift. And I was able to figure out what I was doing, enhance that, and then apply it outside of the gym as well. And so that's actually how I've been able to do that in coaching is to help people get in touch with their emotions, release old stuck emotions that are not serving them anymore, as well as connect spiritually and connect with the mind and the body together. Well, that leads me right into my last question for you. Uh, We spent most of our time here talking about sex and communication because that's the nature of this podcast. But I would imagine that you have advice uh, that you can share that might help listeners have better sex that has nothing to do with communication. So I thought I would uh, give you a chance to share any other advice you might have. I 
would say my focus has always been embodiment and embodied ecstasy. I feel that amplifies life's experiences. And in order to do that and experience that, being in that present moment as much as possible, not just during sex. And that includes some of the basic techniques of breathing and just checking in. Am I present? Am I present for myself? Am I present for my partner? If it's anything that has to do with someone else, not necessarily your romantic partner, but who, who's around me? Is it a business interaction where I'm working with someone? Am I present for myself? Am I present for that person? Mm-hmm. And just take a breath. And this little trick as well is feel the bottom of your feet. Once you feel the bottom of your feet, you feel your whole body. And if you are having some challenges and a little bit of struggle of feeling the bottom of your feet, that's a great practice and mm-hmm. technique to learn. And just be curious, you know, what am I feeling? Are they just in air? Are they in socks? Are they in shoes? Have you put your feet in the sand? You know, what's happening in that moment? And just by having that cognizant understanding, you also have that physical understanding of what do the bottom of my feet feel like? And you are fully present. And I'll add a little bonus to this. Anytime that you are feeling scared or feeling some fear, take a deep breath, feel the bottom of your feet and take action and the fear will dissipate. As long as your life isn't truly being threatened, then the fear will come down a notch enough so that you can move forward and do something else. Because I do know that we are complex biological beings and it's not always in our best interest to have fear completely dissipate, but it will dissipate enough so that you can take the next best action. It had never occurred to me to to do that. I think that that makes a lot of sense that you are literally and figuratively grounded if you can feel your- Yes, that that is the intention. And it's all different experiences. So with communication as well, if you're about to give a, a public speech, if you're about to pick up the phone and have a sales conversation or a perceived difficult conversation with someone, this practice can help immensely. Well, that's great. That That's a perfect place to end with some advice about how to have a difficult conversation. That's what this is all about. I really appreciate your taking the time. Where can my listeners get a hold of you if they're interested in, uh, in learning more about what you do and uh, maybe even engaging you to help them? Absolutely. So three best ways is my name is Sue Priver, classic spelling of Sue, which is S-U-E. My last name is Priver, P as in Peter, R-I, V as in Victor, E-R. I am the only one on Facebook. So you can find me at Sue Priver as well as Sue Priver Coach. Also on Instagram as Sue Priver. And you can check out my website at suepriver.com. And for anybody listening here today, I am happy to jump on a call with you so that you can get some clarity around whatever is tripping you up right now. If it's you seeking mind-blowing sex, if you are seeking to win at life, both of those 
are areas of expertise for me as a performance coach and figure out if we're meant to work together or not. I love helping people find clarity so that they can then move forward in whatever the next best step is for them, if it's working with me or not. Thank you, Sue. I've been doing this for almost a year now, and I have to say this is uh, maybe the most interesting conversation I've, I've had yet. I've, outside my, I won't say comfort zone, but outside my professional zone, and I think what we've talked about is going to be of great interest uh, to my listeners, and certainly I think will come as a surprise compared to the other topics uh, I've discussed over the last year and the other folks I've interviewed, so it's uh, been a real pleasure. Thank you. That, that means a lot to me. As always, thank you to Jim Cirillo at jimmymgroup.com for our original podcast music. Thank you to Rachel Greenberger for our original podcast art. Please send questions to WTSWTGT at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter at hashtag WTSWTGT. And until next time, always be positive.